When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson beats. Jackson breaks tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Hello and welcome. To another episode of Pod Like a Raven. We're post-draft now. A lot of picks to go over. A lot of trades to go over. Franchises moving in other directions. The Ravens just being the best at drafting. And, and there's no other option besides that. And we all know it. Very excited to talk about the draft results for the Ravens as well as the NFL. Go over our mock draft. I am Antonio Barbera. Joined by my co-hosts starting with... Our other East Coast correspondent, Tim Horsey. Tim, how's it going? It's fantastic, my friend. Eric DaCosta uh, keeps the line of Ravens getting A-plus draft grades across the board going with what seems to be another fantastic class again. And I'm sure we'll talk about this. It's it's hard to grade. or it's, The gr- draft grades immediately after the draft are kind of stupid because it takes about three to five years for these to be figured out. But that's not stopping my... Um, Incredible excitement for what they did over the past couple of days here, bringing in some what seems like incredible talent for the Ravens. And on the West Coast, our, our West Coast correspondent, Jace Evans. Jace, how are you How are you feeling about the Ravens draft, the NFL draft? Roger Goodell. <laughs> I'm feeling great about the draft, Antonio. Uh, it was a delight. I watched, uh, I'll admit, I did not watch day three. Uh, once they get going against a 9 a.m., uh, Pacific time on Saturday, I was like, yeah, do I like the draft that much? But I watched, I had it on every second uh, for the first two rounds, uh, fr- uh, Thursday and Friday. It was a delight in this time of no sporting events. It felt like, um, you know, a level of normalcy uh, to get some draft. And like you said, I think the Ravens had a really good one. This was probably the most excited I've been for a Ravens draft. Um, 
in quite some time. Certainly, we'll get into their first-round pick. The most excited I've been for a first-round pick that wasn't Lamar Jackson in quite a while. Uh, so, yeah, I was really excited. It was a great week watching the draft, um, and it was a good event in amidst these times. <laughs> We're at week whatever of quarantine right now. Um, so, you know, we're just doing all of this via video conference. And Jace, for the listener, because you can't see it, you can only hear us, Jace has gone full quarantine, and he's grown a, just a glorious mustache. And I feel like that had to be sort of teased in here right at the top. Uh, Jace, just well done by you. Um, I hope we can get, maybe uh, maybe we'll try to convince you to throw a photo up on the old, on the old Twitter feed, because it is, I mean, first of all, it suits you. It grew, grew in nice, nice and nice and strong. So uh, I can see you've gone full, uh, full like off season, full quarantine lifestyle. I will say real quickly, I just screen grabbed this this call that we do Uh-oh. it on. So that you know, I'll give it'll be Jace's consent. I will allow him to approve the picture. But if he approves it, which he should, by the way, uh, it'll be up on Pod Like a Raven as soon as you as soon as you're hearing this, you'll see it. We got to cover the hard hitting stuff first, and then we can get into the NFL draft after that. So, with that said, we're going to go through the first round here. Not, we're not going to go through every selection. You guys, the listener, you've already seen the results. You've already probably looked through who the top players were. But we just want to go through some of the some of the picks. We want to compare a little bit with with what we thought was going to come out of our mock draft. Um, and then, as we get into the twenties, we're going to pivot and, and really start focusing on the Ravens here. So. If you're a Ravens diehard, go ahead and just jump 10 to 12 minutes ahead. But we are going to talk about those those first 20 to 25 picks. And really the first thing I want to say off the bat is pretty good job by the three of us with our mock draft, at least in terms of what we thought teams needed to do position-wise. Certainly some names are going to be, are going to, you know, are going to change. Um, for example, we had Mekki Becton going forth to the Giants, and then he had a... Uh, Jace, I'll, I'll let you discuss this quickly, but he had some troubles, and there was concern that he was going to drop a few picks, and so the Giants just took the next offensive lineman, basically. <laughs> um, so, Jace, just quickly, what, do you, what were your thoughts on, on the first 10, 10 or so picks? Yeah, the the Giants' pick of uh, Georgia offensive tackle Andrew Thomas was the draft's, I think, first real pivot point, because um, the first three picks went exactly chalk how we told you it would be on this podcast. Uh um, maybe a little less of the Lions. We can't confirm that they had any uh, draft problems in drafting Jeff Okuda. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, they, so they take Andrew Thomas. He was kind of – it was weird. He was going, entering the season in the process. He was kind of considered the top offensive line prospect. Then he fell as, quote-unquote, the process started. And then at the end of the day, the Giants just ended up taking him. Did they reach for him? Only time will tell. But it, seemed, it certainly seemed like someone they could have – traded down with and that I think in turn is kind of what shaped the rest of this uh top 10 because with them taking Thomas that makes Isaiah Simmons slide he ends up at number eight to the Cardinals which I think is a really good pick for them that you know they don't move out of their slot they get a defensive kind of all-purpose playmaker uh that pairs nicely with some of the defensive talent they already have there um so for me that was kind of Thomas going for was really what kind of jumped out and kind of impacted the rest of you know the top 10 and so I I should mention the three of us uh watched this draft together we set up the old zoom the the video conference 
And that you're, you're right, Jace, at four was where we sort of started yelling at each other, why aren't the Giants trading out of this pick? Why aren't they moving down? Why aren't they trying to sort of get value? Because one of these offensive linemen is probably still going to be there in the, you know, the 8 to 15 spot, especially when there wasn't really one just dominant name. Um, we had uh, Justin Herbert going to Miami ahead of Tua Tagovailoa, just in terms of uh, stirring the pot a little bit, but Tua does end up going to Miami, uh, and then Herbert went sixth to the Chargers. Um, then things sort of started to change with the receivers. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on, on the first 10 to 15 picks and, and who the first receiver off the board ended up being? Yeah, Mike Mayock brought out the Ouija board to bring Al Davis back from the dead to make the selection of Henry Ruggs at 12, the first receiver taken. Uh, Obviously, we thought that there was going to be a run uh, 11-12-13. It was going to be, I believe, C.D. Lamb going to the Jets. Uh, Then uh, Judy, excuse me, going to the Raiders, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders at 12. And then the Niners going with a receiver at 13 in Henry Ruggs, who would seem like a great fit there with Shanahan. Uh, Mayock and Gruden kind of blew that up and went with Ruggs first. I mean, the guy is not just a speedster, a la like a Darius Hayward Bay, shout out Terps, that they drafted way too high years ago, purely based on his 40 time. Um, Ruggs, obviously incredibly fast, but is, is much more of a complete receiver as well. So a little bit of a shock there. Um, and then from there, if, if we're just going like 11 to 20 here, there are some interesting things outside of that. I mean, I think I think the Broncos, credit to John Elway, not panicking, sitting there at 15 and still getting their guy in Judy, who was probably their top-rated receiver. Um, and then we had Tristan Wirfs. They needed uh, – going to the Buccaneers at 13. They moved up to 13, a spot ahead of the Niners, just to make sure they got their tackle. That was their one priority in this first round. And Wirfs was kind of the last of these – elite guys or those level one tackles that was on the board still so John Lynch acquiring some capital moving back because he knew he had some guys there and did what I disagreed with at the time uh, in picking Kinlaw the guy who's raw basically um, is the Forrest Buckner replacement and that's who they got this pick for anyway they get younger they get cheaper on the defensive line and maybe just as talented that's the argument for it I thought they should have gone receiver but that's a whole different uh, kettle of sharks there <laughs> then we had a little bit of a reach um, we knew Atlanta needed defensive players Henderson was already off the board um, by the and we had him going there in our mock draft he went nine which is where he was linked a lot with Jacksonville so the, I think they reached a little bit on AJ Terrell a guy who they probably could have gotten again this is all about value if that's the guy that you love it's the guy that you love but maybe trade down get a few more picks and still believe you can get him there um, then the Cowboys, man, I mean, if you listen to our podcast or our mock draft episode, excuse me, I was sweating as Jerry Jones. First of all, Jerry Jones, the sickest boat I've ever seen. His super <laughs> yacht where he was making picks from. The man's so rich, he doesn't even have to hold his phone for the draft prospects. He has like a, a different assistant for each pick, hold the phone for him. Incredible stuff from old, old Jerry there. But um, I thought that they could go receiver. I know people are like, it's not the biggest need. At 17, C.D. Lamb is still sitting there. And, you know, you don't overthink this. At that point, you take the talent that's there. I think that's an incredible pick from them. Um, And then, again, the Raiders at 19 here. Another sort of odd pick. Another corner, Damon Arnett, who was uh, opposite Jeff Okuda this year for Ohio State. 
they love guys who are in the college football playoff, Mayock and Gruden. So I guess that's why they took Arnett. That's fine. But again, it seemed like a guy, just like Terrell a few picks before that, a value guy. Get Move down. If, if you really covet that guy, you think you can get him later, I would move down, pick up the draft capital instead. They obviously didn't do that. Um, and then that left Case on there for the Jaguars, who picked up another stud pass rusher, probably the pass rusher of this class. So I thought th- th- 11 to 20 had some interesting things going on. And as, as we get sort of later into the, the Ravens area of this draft, um, this is where we started to sweat profusely <laughs> as Ravens fans, at least in my opinion. Yeah, so yeah, just, just real quick, uh, real quick for me, just I think of the teens, the CD Lamb falling is kind of the biggest, uh, the the biggest thing for me because you know we talked about how we thought, um, you know, we thought that uh, he he might in our mock we had him going as the first receiver and him and Judy were kind of the quote unquote consensus top receivers. Now that's not to say Ruggs is bad. I think he is quite good, um, but you know he seemed to be the consensus number three, and the Raven or and the Raiders made him the first receiver off the board. So uh, you know, and uh, to to the Cowboys and the Broncos' credit, they stay right in place, let the good players slide to them, and I think you know, especially for the Cowboys, Ceedee Lamb not exactly something they need, but I think makes their offense really dangerous potentially going forward. The the slide the sliding of the wide receivers sort of goes hand in hand with something else that we sort of under expected, I guess, from the mock draft. We had five linemen go in the first round and instead seven went. Uh, we thought receivers were going to start to fall off to the Jets at 11 and instead they took a tackle. You know, they, they want to protect uh, their, their franchise quarterback. The Browns at 10 took a tackle. They want to protect Baker Mayfield. So with a few of those extra linemen going that's what bumped a few of these wide receivers down to to slightly different slots than than we expected cj henderson tim as you mentioned went seven spots higher than we thought they're also as tim as you said several corners going in the in the first round where some teams are just going to look for their guy and and grab him wherever he is other teams are going to look to to move to move back where they can you know with confidence that that player will still be there or if you're the Ravens, you just sort of sit and, and see who falls to you uh, in that position. But I quickly, I wanted to go back to that Tampa Bay trading from 14 to 13 on the Zoom call with the two of you. We started going crazy because why is a team trading one spot, giving up? They gave up a fourth round pick, Tampa Bay, to move from 14 to 13. And then we found out just a few days later that for the 49ers... Uh, Joe Staley was looking to retire, the stalwart uh, tackle for the Niners. Tampa Bay somehow hears about this through the NFL grapevine, so they wanted to make sure that they got to 13 to prevent the 49ers from taking the next best available tackle, but they would have just said no to a trade if they really wanted to take Tristan Wirth. So I don't really get the logic. Wasn't the trade with the Niners? Didn't the Niners and the... So, like, wasn't that the Niners being like, you know, we might take a tackle here, and the Bucks just giving up a pick? At the time, uh, yeah, at the time, it's it just kind of baffling, like, but it makes a little more sense in hindsight. I just I imagine Tom Brady on the phone involved in this very much saying, you guys better get a top tackle prospect to protect me because I'm 42, 43 years old. 
That so was after just he got so strange. After he uh, after he walked out of the incorrect mansion he had walked into, Tom Brady got on the horn with uh, Jason Light and uh, <laughs> talked about a tackle, having himself an off season. And Tim, I want to go back to you. What was your? Uh, I interrupted you before. Oh no, you're good. I, I think it's just interesting that I mean. For the Bucks, I don't necessarily hate it because they're in win now mode with Tom Brady at quarterback. Um, they and, and bringing back Gronk too. Like they absolutely <laughs> have to win now. So risk a little bit of later capital to bring in a guy that you think can immediately help you. Especially, you know, that helps. This also doesn't have the worst track record. If you remember, the Ravens swapped picks in a first round years ago and got Haloti Nada defensive tackle out of Oregon and that turned out okay um the only the only other thing I wanted to point out point out before we move into the late 20s here because we got to get to the Baltimore Ravens they're the most important team in the NFL on this podcast of course um one of the biggest winners of the draft and we'll do more of this later team specifically with the Ravens but Drew Locke baby I mean holy hell that man has some weapons now they got Judy at 15 they got KJ Hamler out of Penn State in the second round, a guy that I was hoping fell to the Ravens a little bit, and we'll obviously talk about what happened, uh, what transpired in that second round for Baltimore later. But um, I believe they got one of the top tight ends as well. Uh, I don't have the Broncos class right in front of me, but look, Elway gets a lot of shtick for not being able to pick a quarterback, but credit to him for seeing enough out of this guy in his rookie year to say, we're, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure this guy has what he needs. You know, it's something that, you could argue for most of the Joe Flacco years, the Ravens organization did not do, um, did not give him the proper weapons, traded away some of his best weapons for assets um, as they were aging. So credit to credit to John Elway there for saying, look, we've seen enough of this guy that we think he's good enough to ultimately, I guess, win us a Super Bowl because that's the goal for everyone. And giving him as, m- as many weapons as possible, I think it's going to be pretty interesting from a neutral point of view just to watch that young core of talent um, with – with the Broncos. And if, look at the run game, too. They've got Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon as well, who they signed from the Chargers this year. So a lot of explosiveness on that offense that I think is just going to be fun to watch. If we, as we move into the 20s here, the Eagles took uh, Jalen Rager, the wide receiver, at 21. And at that point, I actually thought we were looking pretty good with the Ravens. We had a list of names that were still on the board as of the end of – Pick 21, uh, the wide receiver Justin Jefferson was there. Linebacker Kenneth Murray was there. Cesar Ruiz, the center, was there. Uh, both defensive ends that we had tried to convince ourselves into and A.J. Epinesa and Yatou Grossmatos. And then Jefferson, Murray, and Ruiz <laughs> went 22, 23, 24. Panic! That Panic! Is when, yeah, that's when we all got extremely concerned uh, we got concerned in part that our whole draft party was going to end up be the Ravens just trading out of the first round and, and not even <laughs> making a selection, and then that would have been a little anticlimactic for the watching the draft and for Pod Like a Raven. But thankfully that didn't happen, and one of the big reasons that <laughs> did not happen is, oh boy, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, in my mock draft discussion, I wanted them to draft a wide receiver so that we'd have somebody who Aaron Rodgers could glare at uh, during games, after games, before games. But they did, they did just so much more for me by drafting <laughs> quarterback Jordan Love. They traded up from 30 to 26 to get their quarterback of the future. Uh, 
And now Rodgers can glare and curse it at Packers management uh, instead of just one wide receiver. Tim, thoughts on Love? Yeah, not only Love, but in the most stacked receiver class in recent memory, if not (laughs) the last 10, 12, 15 years, the Green Bay Packers did not draft one single wide receiver. They drafted a bunch of guys who, uh, Danny Kelly, much smarter than me on all this from the ringer, and Mallory Rubin as well from the ringer, noted Ravens fan, love Mallory Rubin. Um, They both said that this is a good draft, an interesting draft for the Packers in 2022. This is all for the future (laughs) for a team with an aging quarterback, one of the best to ever do it, and who reached the NFC title game last year, went 13-3, and one of the best teams in football last year, and one of the biggest issues was Aaron Rodgers doesn't have enough weapons, and so they go and draft zero weapons for him. (laughs) I mean, what in the world is Matt LaFleur doing? I get this whole thing, and and the GM, apologies, I don't have his name off the top of my head. Brian Gutekunst. Yeah, thank him, whatever. (laughs) What are they doing? You look at the Saints. They're going all in on on a guy like Drew Brees. They know he's done after this year. Sean Payton basically has confirmed it, that he this is his last ride. So they're going to do everything in their power. I mean, their first-round pick, they're getting a guy to protect him in Cesar Ruiz. Jordan Love is, at best, a, star, a, a decent starting quarterback. He's got all the arm talent in the world but makes may, way too many mistakes at at the Utah State level, and now he's jumping to the NFL level. I mean, this it's, – it's basically LaFleur trying to grab the power back from Aaron Rodgers, but I'm sorry. When you have Aaron Rodgers, you don't do that. And for a guy who, you know, maybe he gets a bad rap from some people, but clearly seems to be one of the most volatile, if not sort of becoming a diva in this league, like one of the biggest divas in the league, and, and hey, rightly, rightly so in some aspects – to throw that into the fire, I just think is hilarious, and it's it's instantly become one of the better storylines. I could also see Rodgers saying, um, "Let me think, screw you," and throwing <laughs> like sixty touchdowns this season just to say, "Hey, you're not going to give me anybody. I'll just throw forty five TDs to Devonte Adams and find fifteen others amongst this other scrap heap of people that you've given me, and we'll make this work." Yeah, to your point, Jordan Love, an intriguing talent for sure. He had his junior, his sophomore season, 32 touchdowns, six picks, but then he followed that up in what has become his draft year with 20 touchdowns and 17 picks, which is not exactly what you want. Now, it seems like talent is there. He's got tools, size, uh, but very raw. And like you said, it's not going to help the Packers win now. It does scream a little bit of an organization uh buying into itself perhaps a little too much a thing where they said we did it once we went from brett Favre to an even better quarterback in aaron Rodgers. <laughs> why let's do it again keep it 35 40 straight years of hall of fame qbs in green bay uh but i don't see this one working out as well for them because of the fact that like it is easy to forget because of how long ago it was now, but Aaron Rodgers was is him or Alex Smith for the t- number one overall pick. The Niners took Smith, and then because it, it was a weird quarterback time, Aaron Rodgers just fell and fell and fell to 24 or whatever he was. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, this is not that, I don't think. <laughs> and you also have, you know, a situation with Brett Favre at the time where he had said, like, 
he I'm going to retire like four or five different times already by that point, or at least he alluded to retirement for a year or two when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't seem like Aaron Rodgers wants to or even can go anywhere based on his uh, salary cap situation. Um, so, uh, yeah, In- intriguing hashtag something to watch going forward. Um, but like we said, it helped the Ravens out a lot in this draft, I think. <laughs> right. From the Ravens' perspective, seeing the Packers trade from 30 to 26, the Ravens, just as a reminder, drafting 28th, uh, the Seahawks right in there at 27, and we had the Seahawks with some of the similar needs as the Ravens. Packers could have easily taken uh, the the best inside linebacker who was still on the board at that point, but they didn't. They take Jordan Love. The Seahawks, again, could have taken who we thought was the next best linebacker on the board, and they do take a linebacker at 27, but it's Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech who I didn't see on a first-round mock anywhere to be honest I'm, I'm not the biggest uh sort of draft expert but you know go pete carroll go seahawks because that left really our one last star who we had that we wanted this team to draft if he managed to fall to 28 eric DaCosta. you waited you waited you didn't panic you didn't get out of the first round you didn't move up and get rid of ass give give up assets in the first round and your guy fell to you linebacker lsu Patrick Queen, the new star linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. So I want to talk now. We're going to get through the Ravens picks, but let's start with, obviously, Patrick Queen. One of you grab it. Take it first. What are your thoughts on Patrick Queen joining the Ravens? Real quickly, just I think we need to emphasize the amount of, um, let's say, tight cheeks we had through those like last <laughs> couple of picks. Um, we're all panicking. Also, Great job, because I know Antonio was ahead of us, and uh, another friend of the program, Garrett Smith, was ahead of us in terms of their feeds. And so Jason and I were at the back half, and they played the poker face so great because they could have lost it. They could have cheered, screamed, cussed, whatever it was. They did not. They kept the drama alive for us. Respect respect the draft video conference. (laughs) Appreciate that. Jefferson goes at 22, right? Then we have our first trade out. New England gets out. Of course. I mean, Belichick's dog was doing the entire draft. He hit something, and then they they moved into the second round. Then you're thinking, oh, geez, it's not them trading above us. It's them trading out to let somebody else get a talent that we want. It's the Chargers. They need a linebacker. They take Murray. Jefferson and Murray gone. Two of the guys. It's like, all right, I think Queen's probably going to go here. Jace had him go, or excuse me, Antonio had him going to the Saints in our mock draft. I thought it was going to be Queen, Queen, Queen all day. Get the local boy, the town hero, whatever it is. They go Ruiz. I'm like, well, that was the Ravens' fallback option, and now he's gone. This sucks. Then you move in to the 49ers. They take Ayuk. That's fine. I don't think any of us really wanted Ayuk in a first-round draft pick at Arizona State. Move on. This Packers thing comes up, and you go, bleep. you got to be kidding me. They take love. And then it's the Seahawks. And in a great move, Antonio, complete poker face again. He could have been like, oh, my God, they just took a linebacker, but it's not the guy you think, yada, yada. It's a guy who I frankly never heard of. Thank the Lord for Pete Carroll, just wanting the same type of people all the time. Leaving (laughs) Patrick Queen, who I'm going to get the negative out of the way first. He's wearing number 48. Pick a number in the 50s. I hate 40s for linebackers. Outside of that, the guy's got looks like everything. He's a little undersized. But when you have a mountain of a defensive line that the Baltimore Ravens have, that doesn't matter. Ray Lewis was the same way. He played behind Tony Saragusa and Sam Adams, and that worked out okay. Um, I think 
the ability to cover, the tenacity from the guy, um, only 16 games on tape, which worries people. That means less tread on his tires, to be honest, or, or less wear on his tires, I should say. Uh, I'm completely fine with that. The guy just seems like a playmaker and a leader, and I cannot wait for him to be commanding this defense. I, I am I'm so excited, Jason. Yeah, I'm, I'm fired up, and, you know – who knows how good he'll be? Uh, that's uh, like you have said, kind of silly to do grades early. Have to see how it plays out, and especially with this class, they're going to kind of be behind the eight ball. It seems like just based on a seeming inability to practice with each other until maybe August, July, August. There's no mini rookie mini camps in person this year. Aren't happening in the NFL, um, or certainly don't seem like it. Maybe they will <laughs> in some states, but. Uh, um, it's so exciting on draft night when you get the guy that like you, you you get fixated on and yeah Queen just seems like he could be such a like could be such a star for the Ravens like he has the potential at, at worst at worst he greatly improves the linebacking core <laughs> for what they have even if he doesn't you know become a Pro Bowler or whatever just like based on where they were the Ravens are better today than they were uh you know Thursday morning in the linebacker room so I'm very excited just from that regard but I do think Queen has the ability to kind of potentially be a star you know his speed seems um kind of perfect for the the you know smaller quicker game that keeps changing here for uh in the NFL so I'm I was very excited with the pick and it was a, a really exciting night to see the Ravens take a guy like that I'm gonna throw my GM hat on my like NFL scout hat. A couple of them, one on top of the other. Side to side, he is terrifying. The speed, versatility to get to the sidelines is crazy. It does not look to me that he over pursues. I, I watched several highlights where he sort of respects his lane and doesn't go trying to you know go to the sideline when his slot is uh, his gap to cover is one from the sideline. He doesn't over pursue. Reads the play so quickly. And he can close. I am one percent, one percent terrified uh, that big running backs and tight ends are going to break tackles against him. Seeing him on the field, he looks small on the field, and I get that undersized has been said over and over and over again. But when I was watching highlights of him, even compared to just college-sized, you know, players, not NFL size, he sort of looks like a big defensive back playing linebacker. Uh, and this may just be Titans, Derrick Henry, PTSD talking, but I, I'm a tiny bit afraid. Not so much of, you know, he won't be able to get off of offensive linemen. His defensive line is going to help him with that. I'm worried about the aspect of when he has to bring down guys that are bigger than he is uh, and wrapping up. And that's what we'll see. I mean, you, you can teach technique, and, and maybe that'll get resolved, but that's my one little... Uh, fear with with Queen, but I absolutely love the pick. I love the fact too that he's got the speed and cover ability to, you know, something that the torn up the Ravens for years. A Travis Kelsey type, you know, he has the coverage ability to deal. You know, Kelsey top of the class in the tight ends in the National Football League are certainly up there. But for the first time in a long time, the Ravens have a good cover linebacker. Um, it seems like that they haven't had that in a very very long time. And I mean, the words. The word sideline to sideline is terrifying. It's just so satisfying to hear. I mean, one of my favorite Ravens plays of all time is, is a play against Tennessee in the 2000 playoff game, and it's Eddie George, that weasel of a man, 
go, like running a toss pitch to the right. I'm sorry. The, the trash he talked about Baltimore for years. I just I can't ever forgive that guy. But he the he like a like a toss play out to the left, and Lewis, I don't know, beats every person there. Even though he started into the middle of the field and makes the tackle. Now again. There's a lot of lofty expectations based on small little line, small middle linebacker drafted late in the first round by the Baltimore Ravens from a big program. Um, you look at some of the other linebackers. He's only the second or third inside linebacker they've drafted in the first round. The other one being – or the other two, Ray Lewis and C.J. Mosley. Uh, also, the other two other linebackers that they've drafted in the first round, Peter Bulware and Terrell Suggs. That's, um, <laughs> by my count, 24, 28 Pro Bowls. Between those four players, which is insane. So Queen's got a lot to live up to. Obviously, the Ravens have a pedigree for great linebackers. But um, two other notes on him that I just love, and I, obviously this is the first pick, so we're going to spend a little more time on this guy. The Ravens noted that he shows up in the biggest games. Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia in the SEC title game, he took over. Uh, he was the defensive MVP of the national title game as well, I believe, um, with his display against Clemson. He was all over the field. And the Baltimore Ravens did not show up in their biggest game last year. They completely dropped the ball. You need guys who, as Marlon Humphrey said, they're going to think of us as losers now. This guy is not a loser. He is a proven winner already. Um, And hopefully he brings that to the NFL level. And another thing, too, Daniel Jeremiah, a very respected scouting guy out of NFL Network, obviously worked with the Ravens formerly. He said he had Jeremiah had him ranked as the 15th best player, meaning that we got him at 28. That's plus 13 in terms of value, that's the best value pick in the first round. Um, you know, as we're going to talk about the rest of this podcast, DaCosta kind of killed it, and it all started with Patrick Queen at, the, at the, in that first pick, man. It was uh, just one final fascinating nugget for me on this first player from LSU the Ravens have ever drafted. Uh, De- Eric DaCosta uh, joked that they had muted Ozzie Newsom on the call when they decided to select Patrick Queen, uh, which I guess, I don't know if he was mad about that or whatever, but Harbaugh clarified that that wasn't true, but it was still a good joke by EDC there. <laughs> um, but yeah, LSU guy finally in the building uh, as a actual Ravens draft pick. It took 25 drafts, but they got it. Got one, and then uh, from the defending national champs, you know, what better LSU squad to get a player from? So, <laughs> You tend to judge whatever the last game your team played in for what your biggest need is in the draft. So the, the one aspect of this is getting a linebacker, and will he be able to stop those, you know, big backs like Derrick Henry? If you go a year ago, a year before that still, Ravens couldn't cover big wide receivers in big plays to go to the playoffs. I, I don't want to hurt Tim too hard with this because he may or may not have been at the Bengals at Ravens game where you couldn't stop a fourth and 12 to go to the playoffs. Why? Because your linebacker, who at the time was C.J. Mosley, couldn't get back in coverage, couldn't get deep enough to stop a fourth and 12 pass. I'm looking at you, Patrick Queen. You're the guy who's going to be able to cover wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, side to side, and, and make those plays. So very excited about the Ravens' first round draft pick. Welcome to Baltimore, Patrick Queen. Uh, we are going to dive into the next picks, but we're going to take a little mini break here to do our random Raven, uh, and then we're going to run through the rest of the picks and have a little bit of space before we have to answer the random Raven at the end of the episode. So, Jace, it's your turn for the random Raven. Why don't you uh, hit us with it? 
So, as a uh, draft recap show, I should have put more thought into this theme. Uh, as it is, I did not. This uh, this former undrafted free agent <laughs> out of UCLA played for the Ravens from 2008 to 2012. Clue number two. Listed as a linebacker, he appeared in 62 games in Baltimore, making 124 tackles and 4.5 sacks. He's not remembered as a pure defensive player, though. The three-time Pro Bowler was a special teams ace. His brother played for the Ravens years before and was a member of the 2000 Super Bowl team. And then clue number five, his number 51 has been since worn most prominently by fellow linebacker Daryl Smith. Probably a future random Raven himself. <laughs> this one's frustrating because the last name that got that, the first name though... <laughs> I will be saying one of the brothers, I guess. I don't know which one I'm going to end up getting, but uh, I do remember this guy. I had no idea he went to UCLA. I had no idea he was on the Ravens for that long. Special what? teams yeah. ace. That, now I know who you're talking about. The brother clue definitely helped for me. I wouldn't have gotten it without the brother clue. And I think I have the right one, only because I don't think I can remember the first name of the guy who was on the 2000 team. But you know, we'll see. That's an excellent choice. Also, thank you, Jace, for episode after the draft. The draft's not important. You got to get the best yeah. players you can after the fact. Uh, yeah, this uh, this name got stuck in my brain. I was like, haven't done them yet. He'll be a good one. So. <laughs> All right, we'll answer that at the end of the show. Now let's look at uh, round two for the Baltimore Ravens. Pick 55. They take maybe a little bit surprising, but right player, right time. J.K. Dobbins, running back out of Ohio State as a second-round pick. Guys, thoughts on yet another dude uh, in the backfield? I love this pick. <laughs> I, well, similar to you, I never really even considered the Ravens taking a running back in the draft. But I hadn't crossed my mind as a thing the Ravens needed, really. Um, but I think it makes a lot of sense given what we saw with the running game struggles a little bit once Mark Ingram got injured late last season. Um, and Dobbins is really, really good. He's amongst the greatest running backs in the history of Ohio state would have probably broken, uh, Archie Griffin's, uh, all time rushing record. Um, but he only stayed three seasons instead of Archie played four. Uh, but yeah, Dobbins 2000 yard season last year, I believe the most in a single season in Ohio state history, um, he's really, really good. I mean, he's like a five-star guy, Ohio State running back. Like, he's just really, really good. And I am very excited about the possibilities uh, for a, a running back of that kind of caliber. You know, no offense to Gus Edwards, no offense to Justice Hill, but Dobbins is just better than them. <laughs> and, uh, just what he brings, I'm excited to see, like, kind of what's what that's like next to Lamar Jackson. I mean, it's just a case of... You know what we're good at? We're going to become even freaking better. I, what a pick by the Baltimore Ravens and Eric DaCosta. I went into day two and I was thinking, all right, plenty of receivers still left on the board. Maybe the Ravens can get one of these guys that we talked about. And then instantly, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, uh, LaVisca Chenault Jr., a, a bunch of – K.J. Hamler, like all go off the board before the Ravens pick. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, where are they going to go from here? Like I'm looking at – A.J. Epineza goes the pick before them. Um, Gross Matos went. Trevin Diggs, if you want to maybe uh, just a talented secondary guy, which some of us were talking about. 
maybe get a little more depth in there. Uh, you know, who knows about Tavon Young? Marcus Peters is super up and down, so maybe you want one of those talented guys in there. Jalen Hurts goes, so it's like, all right, maybe there's some guys left on the board for us here. And they, and DaCosta said it. He said, we had him rated so much higher that we thought he was probably running back number one. We had him rated incredibly high on the board, and he's sitting there at 55. You can't not take him is essentially what he said. He does everything well. He's not Justice Hill is just a speed guy. He's not Gus Edwards. It's just a right-up-the-gut guy. He's an everything guy. Uh, Mark Ingram is 30. He only has two more years left on his deal. He'll be 32 at the end of that. And, look, it, it's going to be weird. Jason's showing us his big trust shirt. I, best guy ever. I love that. Take another guy. screen grab. Yeah, I need, I need one of those. Um, Dobbins becomes, if, if workouts were normal, and that, that could always affect these, these teams, and who knows what's going to happen with the virtual OTAs and stuff like that. If everything was normal, he comes in as running back number two, Instantly, I think, in my opinion, over Gus Bus and Justice Hill. And by the end of the year, if he flashes, might be RB number one over Ingram. Or might be at, le- at the very least splitting 50-50 time. The guy is that freaking good. And I just, I love them not, re- this is, again, this is, it's old, it's cliche, but you trust your board and it's not about need. It's about talent and value where you get these guys. And they looked at their board. They said, this is one of our Red Star guys, who one of their guys that they think are elite, elite guys. He's sitting there late in the second round and said, why not? The, the, whole, the whole comment before about DaCosta saying, we want to make this team undefensible. We want to get weapons, weapons, weapons. Everybody translated that to having a bunch of different receivers all over the field. Now you have some of the receivers they drafted late, which we'll get into. But in the backfield, next to the unanimous MVP, they could line up Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins on either side of him and run the ball down your throat 35, 40 times a game and not wear any of these guys out. Um, It's remarkable. And look, we talked about it last year. I love the fact that the Ravens zigged when everybody else zagged and then ended up rushing for the most yards in NFL history. They could top that this, this upcoming season with Dobbins in the backfield there, too. The other thing is, once you get past a certain number of picks in the draft, you start getting guys. It's like, well, what does he do well, right? What are his few attributes that he really brings? Dobbins, he does all of it for his position. He's a superstar at that position, hurt maybe, you know, by running backs being drafted later and later, seemingly, by, by the year. Guy has speed. Guy has agility. He has power. He has the production at a big program and a big conference. The thing that for me, so I listen. I love the the decision long term. I'm fascinated to see how many carries he can carve out in season one, basically in the first eight games of season one. Mark Ingram is a ten to fifteen carries guy. Lamar Jackson is a ten to fifteen carries. <laughs> Gus Edwards, as of last year, was a five to ten carries, and then Justice Hill would get a few here and there. And Hill came on a little bit towards the end of the season, so. Where does Dobbins fit in that mix right away is what I am dying to see. If he's going to be sort of in between the the Hill, Gus Edwards, if he's in between the Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram, if he becomes the guy who gets 20 carries because of his talent and youth, frankly, and Ingram goes to a secondary role. So fascinating to see. It's a great problem to have, uh, and we'll see how the Ravens deal with it. Yeah, and real quickly, too, and we'll talk about winners and losers on the Ravens' current roster um, after this uh, when, we, when we recap everybody. But 
I don't necessarily, spoiler alert, I don't necessarily think there's a world where the Ravens have to only have three backs. I think they could keep four based on how much this team runs the ball. Um, and just another little thing, I found this interesting from just our nerdy, uh, if you, if you want to get real nerdy with the numbers here, this comes from Will Brinson, who ended up getting it from Sports Info Solutions. Uh, the Ravens have dipped into analytics with their running back selection. Every single one of their RBs thrives out of the running out of the shotgun. J.K. Dobbins, second most yards from the gun last year in college football. 260 carries, 1,755 yards, 18 touchdowns, and that's 6.8 yards per carry from the gun. Now, obviously, that'll go down a little bit in the NFL, but <laughs> he not only is super talented, he fits what they want to do, and they got him way too late, honestly. He should have been off the board by then, and it's, again, just two for two so far in this draft <laughs> from Eric DaCosta. In the third round at pick 71, the Ravens took defensive tackle out of Texas A&M, Justin Matabuke. Guys, thoughts on the first defensive lineman that the Ravens ended up taking in the draft? Yeah, we should note the two that they traded out. They had two picks in the second round. They traded out of that uh, pick to, to get basically three third-round picks in total because they, va- they had a lot of guys that they valued. Matabuke, Matabuke is the first guy who again because I'm like you Antonio I don't watch a ton of college football and I'm outside of like the top you know whatever it is 45 50 guys I'm not as well versed um in in some of these other picks and it was the first huh pick like you know you give one of those okay I mean they need they need depth behind the the starters on that defensive line we've talked about it all those guys are up there in age um, all in their 30s, I believe, in, in terms of Calais Campbell, Wolf, and Brandon Williams. And Matabuke apparently is a force in the pass rush. Uh, last season alone, he led the team from a defensive tackle with 11.5 tackles for loss and 5.5 tackles, um, 5.5 sacks, excuse me. Something that Brandon Williams doesn't do. So it's a, Dalen Mack doesn't do it either. So it's another sort of weapon that they have in this defensive blitz scheme where in nickel, dime, third, and long, you take Brandon Williams off the field, you put a guy who rel- plays the relatively same position in Matabuke, and Wink just tells him, hey, <laughs> go get the man with the ball. Go get that quarterback for me, please. Um, it, it, again, it was one of those picks that – and this, this happens with the Ravens a little bit too much probably just because of their draft history, uh, which we've talked about a little bit. But it was one of those picks that I went, huh? You look at Twitter and immediately everybody goes, holy crap, I can't believe they just got Matt Abuke there. Yeah, I, I know Kuiper in particular was like really jazzed up the, uh, about this guy. I think he, in one of his mocks, he even might have had him as a first round pick, I think somewhere along the line. But uh... he, he had him over Blacklock, the TCU defensive tackle that most people didn't. And I should say real quick to note on that, just to pick up on that Kuiper point, sorry, Jace, is that he had all four, five of their day two picks so Dobbins uh, Matabuke DuVarnay, uh Malik Harrison and Tyree Phillips who we'll get to in a, in a second he had all five of those guys 20 spots higher at least 20 spots higher on his big board than they were selected so it's just value 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 again yeah yeah it, similar to you I was kind of like yeah when this <laughs> pick was made I didn't really feel strongly about it but it does make level of sense it's also you know I think planning for the future a little bit, you know, Calais Campbell in his mid to late thirties, uh, Derek Wolf is 30, Brandon Williams got to be 30 by this point. Uh, so I think it's just a level of planning. You know, you can also view him as someone who basically replaces Michael Pierce, uh, in a way, um, maybe with a little more even pass rush upside, like you were saying. Um, so 
yeah, the pick's ground on me. I think, uh, you know, you can't ever really have too many defensive tackles. Similar to your point uh, a little earlier, Antonio, uh, they do seem convinced that they are never going to let uh, a Derrick Henry situation happen to them again. <laughs> and so I think they have put uh, even more emphasis on the defensive line than they probably already do. So I, I think it's just good. Add defensive depth. You can never really, you know, as much as they rotate these guys in the NFL today on the defensive line, you can never really have too many of them. So, you know, if he was the best guy on their board, he was the best guy on their board. And it certainly seems like it because uh, it's not an immediate area of need, you would say. Also, the guy is just a freak athlete. He was a 100-meter sprinter in high school, and he ran a 4.8. And this is at 6'3", 293 pounds. I mean, you, you can't – and we'll get to this with some of these later picks. Um, it, it's, for some of these guys, you know, later rounds, like Antonio said, they fall because they don't excel at something. Maybe their football IQ isn't the best, whatever it is. But you can't teach freak athleticism. So, like, in those later rounds, when you get a guy who has the production – He's a two-time captain, I believe, as well. Um, actually, no, that might have been the other defensive tackle who we'll get to in a bit. But um, just a freak athlete and the production that you saw with a big-time program. I mean, that's a, it's a hell of a combination for a third-round pick there. 21 picks later in the third round. Oh, boy. Uh, in the words of Michael Scott, there's no question about it. I am ready to get hurt again by a middle-round wide receiver. And it's Devin DuVernay, wide receiver out of Texas. I, I'm, I love him already. Very into Devin DuVernay. Speed, hands, put him next to Hollywood and, and watch secondaries just cower in fear. Guys, your thoughts on, on DuVernay? I love this pick. Um, he was so productive. He had, he had pretty good three years um, at Texas. But then his senior year, he really exploded. 106 receptions, 1,386 yards, nine touchdowns, um, does not drop anything. I read he only dropped about five balls all season of and had 106 receptions. Uh, so if it hits his hands, they're most likely sticking in the hands, which again seems like almost a direct result, and we'll get to a very similar uh, statistic with the guy they took in the sixth round. Um but it seems like they saw Seth Roberts drop meaningful passes in a playoff game and said never again. Cause uh, yeah, with a guy like Duvernay, you know, not the greatest uh, layer, most dynamic perhaps he is very fast, which is good. Um, there's, I guess some questions about uh, his overall, you know, size and not the biggest guy out there, but um, for what he brings, you know, speed and good hands, you know, the Ravens have drafted a lot of receivers over the years that have not had the hands part. So it's exciting to, I th- for me, I think, to draft a guy who was productive at a big school um, when they needed him to be and just pulls down everything. And, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, or uh, to just pair him with what they have going, it's very exciting. Yeah, here's the deal. First of all, I'm excited about this pick. I'm not nearly as excited as John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, <laughs> one when this pick was made. You saw him on ESPN or NFL Network or wherever you were watching, actively fist-pumping, shouting maybe a few f yes. Like, he was in on Duvonnet, as I'm going to call him now. Um, <laughs> and here's, here's the situation. By the way, you nail it on the pass-catching thing. They want guys with hands. We'll talk about Prochet later as well. Never drops a pass. After watching Seth Roberts bumble the ball over and over again against the Titans and Mark Andrews dropping some passes as well, I think that's something that they need. 
Here's the situation now. You have J.K. Dobbins, you have Mark Ingram next to Lamar Jackson. They're just beating down a defensive line, beating down a defensive line. Three and a half, four, five, six yards per carry. They're moving the ball. It's, it, it's almost unstoppable. So the defense has to pack in nine in the box, maybe even ten. Then they leave one guy to cover Marquise Hollywood Brown, a proven speedster. Now you got to cover two of them. Because DuVarnay is going to be on the other side or he's going to be in the slot and he will blow by you as well. And not only that, another thing we need to mention, he was not only graded for being, being a straight line speedster, but he's also a tough as nails player as well. Models his game after Steve Smith. Ice up, hon. You love seeing that. And, um, <laughs> and like they say in the NFL scouting report, he's built like a spark plug. Like he's just, he's a thick, stocky receiver as well. Height, a little bit of an issue, sure, but kind of the opposite of Marquise where you're like he needs to eat a sandwich or two before the next NFL season kicks off DuVarnay doesn't seem to have that problem coming in at 510 200 uh in, into this Ravens locker room again I'm 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 with Antonio so much I'm ready to be hurt again by this guy <laughs> because I already have it locked in that he's going to catch 50 balls for 700 yards next year next to Hollywood Brown and it realistically that's not going to happen but but right now we're celebrating man we're having a good time recapping this draft I cannot wait for Duvarnay and Brown with a little possession receiver and Boykin as well. You got all these young weapons on the outside with that crazy running game that you already have established. It's I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Very excited, boys. Again, back to the third round. This was only six picks later, and they go back to the linebacker position. That's obviously a spot that they want to fortify. They have multiple slots open in that linebacker core. And they go for Malik Harrison out of Ohio State. I watched a few clips, a few highlights of him, and it there's there's more than two or three examples of him just blowing up people, coming out of the backfield, on screens, coming across the middle. Looks like a big hitter, maybe with some other areas of his game that he's got to got to work on. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think he nailed it there. He definitely is. I think a little raw. They mentioned on the broadcast that he like didn't even come to Ohio State like as a linebacker. He was. I forget what position they mentioned he played, but they were just like, this guy's too athletic to just not like be used. I think he might have been a running back or something like that. Maybe somewhere on the offense, like a tight end or something. He was they, a former uh, Jace. He was a former high school quarterback, according to the scouting okay. report with uh, with NFL.com. <laughs> Which is crazy because this guy is six uh, three uh, two forty, so I can't imagine that playing <laughs> quarterback. But uh, yes, um, so that must be because they they he wasn't going to play a quarterback at Ohio State, but they were like he's too athletic to not have, and they moved him to linebacker eventually. And you know, I think he is raw, um, but like you said, he's super athletic. Uh, this past season, sixteen point five tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, so kind of dynamic. Um, I think we mentioned in our notes uh, some possible coverage concerns, but good news. He pairs seems seemingly pairs well with the first round draft pick, Patrick Queen. They're kind of opposites in many ways. Queen, sideline to sideline, speed, not the biggest guy. Harrison, kind of just a huge guy who hits real hard. <laughs> uh, and that seems like, uh, you know, I read some things about Harrison. People aren't sure if he's, you know, going to be an every down linebacker or on the field all the time, but... Still got to stop the run sometimes, and as we hearken back to many times, this seems like a, a Derrick Henry solution, <laughs> potentially. So, I like the pick. I think it's a good one. I thought LJ Fort was really good last year for the Ravens in the role that he played, but 
I just I need football tomorrow because I want <laughs> I need Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison lining up next to each other. I mean, you kind of nailed it, Jace. Bucky Brook, Bucky Brooks of the NFL Network notes that you know he is that athlete, explosive guy who's going to take guys on head on, and he's a thumper. You love seeing a guy that can hit hard, uh, even though the NFL penalizes that most of the time now, unfortunately. But he does have intriguing blitz skills and and a little bit of coverage ability as well. So he's not just a road grader of a linebacker, but clearly he is the yin to Patrick Queen's yang. Um, <laughs> that is sort of the foil to him and obviously more of a de- 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 developmental case. I don't know why I couldn't say that word. But I think in time, ideally... He is the guy next to Patrick Queen, helping him take on some of the bigger blockers and bigger running backs. And and look, I'm old school, man. I grew up on a Ravens defense, uh, you know, my entire life. A guy that can thump like that, I'm always going to be a fan of. So, I, again, for me, and it, this is purple tinted glasses. This is, you know, no analysis clearly of how they're actually going to play in the NFL. At this point in the draft, I'm like. They're killing this. They have nailed every single pick here, and it just—it seems like EDC and John Harbaugh are in like lockstep with each other. They know what they want to do. They know the plan for this team. And um, you know, if he's not an every-down linebacker, LJ Ford has a little bit more of that pass coverage ability. A very sure tackler, LJ Ford was last year as well. Um, but maybe down the road, you see Harrison as your guy on first and second down. You take him off the field on third down to bring in another corner or pass rusher, and hey. For today's modern NFL linebacker, there is nothing wrong with that. You know, the the three-down guy is very rare uh, in today's game. So I'm completely fine with him playing a role on this defense. Through five picks that the Ravens have made up to this point, there was really one big position that still had yet to be addressed. And they did address it with the next two picks. I'm going to bunch these two guys together as we get into some of the later picks of the draft here. But the interior of the offensive line is remains one of the bigger glaring issues for the Ravens and they addressed it late in the third round and in the fourth round as well they've got uh, I believe it's pronounced Tyre Phillips correct me if I'm wrong there uh he's a technically a tackle out of Mississippi State that they see playing more of a guard position and then in the fourth round Ben Bredesen who is a pure guard out of Michigan two guys who are going to compete for starting spots right away. So why don't you guys give me your thoughts on, on those two offensive linemen? Yeah, I think, I think either of them – I don't think either of them wins this job outright, but it's certainly great to have that depth in there um, with, you know, the very limited depth they had in the interior of the offensive line, which was seen maybe as the biggest need other than linebacker um, or maybe even over linebacker, depending on who you talk to, because, again – None of this beautiful stuff in the running nor passing game happens without an offensive line. That's just the long and short of it. I'm very interested to see what the Ravens think they have in Ben Powers, who was picked last year out of Oklahoma, and if he gets that job or if it's a guy. I know, I believe DJ Fluker, guard out of Seattle, just went on the free agent market. Maybe it's a guy like that. The Ravens can now sign free agents without risking any loss of compensatory picks. We know how much they value those. So maybe we see a veteran come in. But um, Phillips just seems like another athlete, a guy who needs to learn a little bit about the position, especially logging time at left tackle. He'll, he will most likely move to guard. DaCosta said they project him more on the inside there, like you said, Antonio. And then Bredesen is just the hardball to hardball connection. They've got the inside <laughs> scoop on that guy. John calls Jim and says, how's this guy? Oh, he's pretty good, John. Okay, thanks, Jim. And then they pick him 
later later in the NFL draft. Um, I don't I don't have a ton. He's he's Bredesen seems like a very physical mauling run blocker, which is what you what this Ravens team desperately needs with the loss of a guy like Yonda. But again, depth back to back, which is nice to see. Yeah, Bredesen a little more. He was four year starter. Um, seems probably a little more technically sound, uh, perhaps than Phillips. I think they have different things going for them, as you mentioned, Phillips. Is an absolute monster. He's not the some things I was reading about him. Not the greatest pass protector, but you know benefits from being six five and <laughs> very very heavy. Um, so if you, if you're looking for him to like run block pr- primarily, seems like he could be an option. Um, you know, Bredesen. We should probably note played dir- right next to Caesar Ruiz, who we've talked had talked about on and off as a potential Ravens target, and uh, came with glowing marks from both Jim and Jack Harbaugh for whatever that's worth. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I, I had read a thing, and I don't fully know if it, how legit it is, but I read a thing that was very, very complimentary of uh, Bredesen's actual pass protection, allowing very few uh, QB pressures. Albeit, uh, you know, the interior in college, not quite as tough as the interior of an NFL team. But uh, I think they both have their strengths and weaknesses, and it'll just kind of be interesting to see um, how it plays out in camp. Rounds one and two, maybe three. You look for starters. Rounds three to four, maybe five is when you start looking for some spot players. Then you get from five, rounds five to seven, and these are your special teamers. Uh, Maybe they offer some unique skill. So I'm going to run through the three players that the Ravens got through rounds five through seven uh, and let you guys give me maybe a highlight, something that you like about one of these guys, or maybe a few things that you like about (laughs) one of these guys. So in the fifth round, uh, they took Broderick Washington Jr., the defensive tackle out of Texas Tech, just get another dude on the defensive line. Uh, In round six, they took a wide receiver, James Prochet, out of SMU, and then in round seven, Geno Stone, a safety out of Iowa. So quickly, a few quick hits from these three guys, things that you really like. Uh, Prochet is definitely the guy that jumps out to me. The Ravens actually traded, I believe, next year's fifth-round pick to trade the, uh, back into their the spot in the sixth round to select him. Uh, just crazy production. Um, his junior and senior years, he had 93 receptions and then 111 receptions. Uh, over a thousand yards each year and, uh, nearly 30 touchdowns those two seasons. So he is the only guy outside the power five, the Ravens selected, um, in this draft. And overall, I think it was a little less numbers, uh, outside the power five and FCS in general, although didn't stop the Patriots from taking a division two guy with their first selection, but we could, that's a conversation for another day. Um, but, uh, yeah, Prochet, super productive, uh, similar to Duvernay, um, very great hands, very, very low drop percentage. I believe I read even less drops than Duvernay, uh, his senior season, only like two. Um, uh, same thing, uh, you know, people, his big thing is he's not the biggest guy, six foot, 193 listed, uh, but people say great ball skills and great hands and, a pretty solid route runner, maybe not to the degree Duvernay is, but he seems to do all the things that you want a receiver to do. It's just he's only six feet tall. He's uh, really his only seemingly real drawback, and he was playing against a little lesser competition at a, a group of five school. But again, it seems like they targeted a guy who has really good hands, and doesn't drop things, and does everything you want a receiver to do well. Just isn't maybe the most you know 
not the fastest, not the strongest guy, but he catches the ball well. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> that's is kind of what you want. Which is weird. You want that from a wide receiver, right? <laughs> right. Uh, another a couple just notes on Prochet before we get to the other two quickly. Uh, he's a great special teams player, Jace. I don't know if you mentioned that. Um, Jeff Zerebeck, who we always talk about from the Athletic, has said that he's probably already the team's number one punt returner unless something catastrophic shows up in camp. Um, that doesn't spell well for DeAnthony Thomas. Uh, he could end up being the kick returner as well. Great to have a guy who that's a very important position in big-time games when you're battling for field position. Um, guy who can hold on to the ball and maybe make some plays in special teams. Great to get that in the later rounds if any of these guys make the team because you never know. The Ravens drafted 10 players in this draft and then had a, a number of undrafted guys we won't go over today. But they not, – not everyone's going to make the team. But if he does, it's become, because of his ability on special teams. Same with Geno Stone, who I know Danny Kelly mentioned. He had him as a like mid-third round pick, and they got him in the seventh. Seems to sort of lack some of the athleticism that you want, but as a high football IQ, which again, late round pick. Uh, starter for Iowa. Nice to see that. That's a guy who, if he's going to make the team, it's going to be on special teams. But, you know, you would think that they probably value him as a special teamer as well, taking him in the seventh round. Um, and then Broderick Washington just seems like a, another, just more depth, really, on that defensive line. And they'll see if he can make some sort of an impact and keep him on the team if he can and cut him if he can't. Um, a little undersized, but also provides some of that interior pass rushing which seems to be a theme with the depth they're trying to create. When you have your big bruisers in Derek Wolf, Clayus Campbell, who can clearly is elite, but then and Brandon Williams, sort of your run stuffing guys. Why not have a few young guys who excel in getting after the quarterback? Which I think is great to see. But I mean, clearly, look, the wide receiver in those final three is the one you want to talk about the most because <laughs> it's it's the sexiest position out of all of those. So, especially a guy who might be able to return the football as well. I think that's that's great for this Ravens team. So those were. The Ravens draft picks seem, seems like a great bunch of players. We'll see in the next two to three to five years who ends up you know, solidifying a spot on the team, being a starter, being a Pro Bowl, and what have you. So now, you know, we've talked already about value a lot. The Ravens have historically been good at drafting players at good value. But I'll ask you guys, obviously if you said, who's your favorite player of this draft? Who do you think will do the best? we're all going to gravitate toward the first round. So based on the round they were drafted in, who was your favorite player selected and who do you think can do the most based on the expectations about that round? So, uh, Jace, if you want to go first, I'll, I'll let you go. I think I'm looking at the receiver ranks. I think I'm going to go with Devin Duvernay, you know, selecting him in, uh, the, was the, th the third round they got him. Um, you know, not a ton of pressure because unlike Hollywood, not a first round pick, but I, I think someone who can really help this team and just give a, a dynamic level that they were kind of missing outside of Hollywood. And certainly, you know, the, you even you trade uh, Hayden Hurst, one of your honestly better athletes in the receiving ranks on the offensive side. So to just get a little more uh, speed and make things easier for Lamar in the passing game. I think, and for a third-round pick that everyone seems to universally think is a pretty good pick, I, I was pretty pleased with that one. Jace is also ready to be hurt again. Tim, <laughs> uh, your favorite guy drafted. Uh, I mean, I talked about it a little bit when we talked about him, but J.K. Dobbins at 55, baby, come on. It's With him and Ingram and Justice Hill and Gus Edwards, they are going to maul 
football teams. I cannot wait to embarrass the Pittsburgh Steelers front seven on some sort of primetime game because they have four running backs coming at them, and they frankly can't stop them. Now, again, this is all if the, the offensive line can be improved a little bit, which we'll obviously see what happens there. Um, and I, I want to throw this in here, too. We did put out on Twitter earlier today before recording who was your favorite Ravens draft pick? And Gaz, one of the guys over in the UK who always interacts with us, we always appreciate that. Um, he's gotten in touch and he agrees with me. He says, Dobbins, after initially wanting an interior offensive line or a wide receiver there, I wasn't blown away at first, but now that the dust has settled, imagine what this scheme is going to look like with an elite level running back in the mix. I love Ingram, but if this dude is better and a gift of, um, let's just say Ace Ventura being uh, very ecstatic. I'm done. It's a family show. So I... I think that pick has the potential to be Ray Rice levels of, holy crap, they got this guy there. Are you kidding me? Um, Because, you know, much like DuVernay, it's a little different, but much like DuVernay, he falls because the receiver class is so good. If it's not this good, that guy goes in the second round, Uh, maybe even late first, depending on the amount of guys. With, With... Dobbins, it's the case of people don't want to pick running backs high anymore because you don't want to pay them and you know, yada, yada, yada. Jonathan Taylor went to the Colts, and the whole thing was he fumbles too much, and boy, he got a lot of work in, high, in uh, college. How, how is that going to affect him at the NFL level? I think Dobbins can be an absolute stud for them. And look, they got him at 55. They got him in the late end of the second round. If he turns out that he's an adequate starter, not necessarily a superstar. You let him go after four years and, and you move on and you, and you find somebody else to replace him. I mean, that's just, I think the value there at seen as it, how excited DaCosta was talking about, we had no, idea, we never thought he would be there at that point, And that's basically why we took him. Uh, you can't not be excited about a guy like that. You know, I'm inclined to agree with each of your picks, but I'll throw another one out there to mix things up. Uh, it's the first rounder. It's Patrick Queen. Talk about guys who we didn't expect to be there at 28. Uh, that's Queen. And it's just the pedigree is there from Ravens linebacker draft picks this early. I mean, just following the footsteps of the guys we've already drafted. It, it certainly speaks to Ozzie Newsom and company's ability to figure out, you know, who are the really top players at that position. I think they've done it again. Uh, I'm not going to say he's going to be the next Ray Lewis, but... Pro Bowls are in Patrick Queen's future, and I'm very excited about him filling a, just a gigantic need that the Ravens have had really for for years, basically. Yeah, just a quick note on that before we move on. I just I think we need to, and we talked about it a little bit. We need to emphasize Eric DaCosta's patience in that because as soon as all those players start going off the board, there could have been they had nine picks at that time. They ended up with ten, but they had nine picks at that time. They could have packaged a few of those together and moved up a couple spots just to get their guy, just to make sure. But this is why Eric DeCosta is an NFL GM and we're not. He didn't panic. (laughs) He sat back. I'm sure he had plan B, C, D, all the way through Z in case something else happened. And his patience was rewarded with not only Patrick Queen, but then nine other players after that who could could make an impact on this NFL team. Um, Yeah, look. Queen is probably my favorite pick, but in terms of in terms of value, uh, I just think Dobbins at fifty five, man. I mean, that's it, it's madness. <laughs> Let's talk now about the guys who were already on the Ravens roster. Uh, who's impacted the most by this group of players who've come in? Who who's you know winner and losers? That's a very common sort of way to look about this, but. Are the running backs most impacted? Are some of the backup wide receivers most impacted? Those fringe linebackers? Who has to uh, show the most 
early on uh, whenever we get, you know, training camp and, and practices back on the field for the Ravens? I think it is the running backs, and I and specifically I think the combo of uh, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, one of those two. You know, Gus, an undrafted guy, uh, and Justice Hill, I think, was a fourth-round pick, uh, maybe a fifth. Um, I just think, you know, you invest a second-round pick in a running back, I do think you have an eye on him getting that work <laughs> um, in a way that, uh, you know, Hill's been fine, but... Uh, Gus Edwards is good at what he does, but I just think you, you, it's hard to imagine their carries not getting limited in some way, assuming everyone's kind of healthy. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think I, and this could change obviously as we get later into the off season, I think they keep four guys in the running back room. Um, I don't think it's the end of Baltimore's or the Baltimore careers of justice Hill or Gus Edwards, but Hill, a guy who we were all very excited about coming out, you know, speedster type guy. Well, now Dobbins kind of does what he does, but also brings other things. So I think he might be the guy because they love the Gus Edwards, you know, downhill runner style. Hill might be the guy on the outside looking in. And it's unfortunate because I think he's a talented player. Maybe we could see him more in the special teams game as well. Who knows? But um, I'm going to go. I think a guy who, and we did a little bit of a winner, I don't think he's affected as much as maybe he thought he would be before the draft, and that's Miles Boykin. They were reportedly looking at a guy like T. Higgins in the first round. Obviously went with Queen, thank God, because um, I don't think I could have dealt with a. They weren't going to go two for two on first round wide receivers. That wasn't going to happen. So they didn't go with T. Higgins. T. Higgins is more of that big catch radius. Six, I think he's like 6'4". Six, 6'4", four, six, four, I think. Yeah, yeah. Can catch everything, throw the ball up to him. And I think Boykin is going to become that guy for the Ravens, or they think that he has the talent to become that guy. The two receivers they drafted were short, speedster-type guys. They were not the big outside guy that you can throw the ball up to and have him go get it like a Miles Boykin. I think we'll see a lot from him in year two. Um, it could mean less snaps for a slot guy like Willie Sneed because Duvarnay might make that role. He might be a little more impacted by this. Um, Sneed rather than a guy like Boykin. I actually think Boykin comes out, I think he's a starter. I think he starts on the opposite side of Hollywood Brown with Sneed playing in the slot um, on your three three wide receiver sets. And then as we get later into the year, maybe that becomes Duvarnay's role. Who knows? But I think Boykin is actually sort of a winner in this draft because of the type of receivers they drafted um, and, and not taking really an early flyer on anybody. I'm going to respectfully disagree. Uh, I think Boykin is uh is in trouble uh not in terms of sort of he's going to get cut before the season starts i mean he's a you know early round pick in year two but i think when you make the intention of drafting multiple wide receivers in a draft i think you're sending a message to the guys that you have that their position is not secure uh the ravens sort of have a track record with drafting wide receivers that i'm not going to talk about so Let's assume that they the draft picks sort of go middle of the road. Um, they they also have gotten wide receivers sort of the day before the season started or, or two two weeks before the season started to fill a need. Boykin, if if I you know I had to guess sort of off the top how many catches I thought he had last season, I think my number would be a lot higher uh, than it actually is. <laughs> Thirteen receptions all of his rookie season, so. I would have guessed more. It seemed like he was on the field much more than that. There's not a ton of, not a ton of you know balls being thrown by this offense. So 
if you don't sort of make a point of showing what you can do early, he already has guys now breathing down, breathing down his, you know, down his neck. So I think he is in trouble. Some of the, some of, some of the linebackers will see LJ Fort, maybe another guy who we, I think we all really liked last year because he was, you know, a sure tackler, which was something that we didn't have the first few weeks of the <laughs> season. But you know, if, if the draft goes as it's supposed to, uh, I think a guy like Fort and I think a guy like Boykin could be, could be in trouble. And real quickly before we wrap this, because I could talk about the NFL draft for hours, um, but I think maybe two of the biggest winners out of the Ravens that are already on the roster are Tyus Bowser and Jalen Ferguson, because not one edge guy was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens, not one pass rusher. He had some interior guys who are known for getting after the guy, uh, getting after the quarterback, but that's in the middle of the defensive line. That's not on the outside. So, it's going to be Jalen Ferguson lining up next to, to Matt Judon. And look, I thought Ferguson was pretty good. Um, he's another linebacker that wears a number in the 40s, which is infuriating. But I, I think those guys, I personally, being the cynic, think it's a lack of depth in the draft for edge rushers. There weren't a ton of pass rushers in, in this draft, but Kaysan was the only one elite one, and you, that's rare for an NFL draft. But... I think those guys come out as big winners because they're going to be expected to be the other half of the pass rushing duo outside of Matt Judon as well. That's a good point. And yeah, just to echo that, it does seem like Matt Judon officially probably in Baltimore for the 2020 season um, does not seem like they will be trading him after all. So good news, bad news, depending on your opinion of Matt Judon, I guess, but (laughs) All right, so before we close up, just a few quick notes about the NFL. I'm going to let each of you, if you guys want to talk about something, we really have only talked about the first round and then the NFL picks. So I'll toss to you in a second if you want to go over any specific players that, that caught your eye in rounds two through seven. Some quick NFL notes. Uh, Jameis Winston uh, may or may not be going to the Saints after they didn't care about drafting Jordan Love to be the future in uh, New Orleans. They are probably going to sign Jameis Winston and then also just give $16 million guaranteed to Taysom Hill for two years. So some stuff happening in New Orleans. Who knows who the quarterback's going to be in, in two to three years there. Uh, a couple of trades, both involving the 49ers. Um, they sent their running back, Matt Breida, to the Dolphins. We had talked about one of the Dolphins' big needs going into the draft was a running back. So they ended up getting a, a, a sort of established NFL name. Uh, and then the 49ers send the wide receiver Marquise Goodwin to the Eagles, a team who in desperate need of, of pass catchers in, in Philadelphia. So they draft one in the first round and then get uh, a veteran. 49ers, meanwhile, get Trent Williams in a trade from the Washington Redskins. That was sort of a deal where it seemed like Williams was going to be traded for multiple seasons, uh, and it finally happens. Um, so that's all I have in terms of just sort of quick notes. Guys, any other thoughts from the NFL draft? Uh, well, I just wanted to shout this guy out because I, I've mentioned it in passing, but um, Bill Belichick drafted uh, Kyle Duggar uh, from Lenore Rhine with the Patriots' first pick in the post-Tom Brady era, traded out of the first round, then took a Division II defensive back from Lenore Rhine. It was just very on-brand uh, for everyone involved. <laughs> Uh, Belichick, um, no quarterback drafted by the Patriots. I guess we should mention that. Um, 
uh, interesting. It seems like Jared Stidham's their quarterback barring a trade here. Um, so I found everything the Patriots did fascinating. Uh, their insistence on weapons, I don't think so, making their first, like, three draft picks all defensive players. It was just all very Bill Belichick, and I loved it, even though I hate the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, a couple other notes from the draft is um, casual Roger was great. Um, by the time like the end of the third round came around, he was leaning back in his chair and like his legs were wide open. I don't know if the man had a bit too much bourbon or he was having back spasms or what, but I, I think Roger Goodell actually did a pretty good job. It was, it was relatively awkward um, and doing the whole like rah-rah fans thing I could have done away with, but that's fine. I thought the, the draft as a whole, we didn't really mention it, went pretty smoothly um, from the Zoom conference thing. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Bill O'Brien being just incensed at the lions backing out of a uh, draft or a trade at the last second was really funny to be caught on camera. But outside of that, outside of a few like awkward family moments, every coach felt like their family had to be in the room when they made a pick, which we didn't like, we didn't need that. But by the end of the, by day three, it's like became normal. So that was fine. Um, And just one, just a quick thing on what you mentioned there. I mean, the Trent Williams thing is so good for the Niners. One of their one of uh, one of the best left tackles in in the league retires, and they just get an all pro. Uh, who we'll see how good he is, you know, coming off a year where he didn't play. But I I expect him to be motivated for one of the NFC's best teams. And I think the Saints is the best place for Jameis Winston. Simply, um, he I'm serious. He learns he learns behind Drew Brees and Sean Payton. He probably st- he starts over Taysom Hill. He's better than Taysom Hill. Full stop. I I don't at the quarterback position. He is better. He might not be a better football player, but he is a better better quarterback <laughs> than Taysom Hill is. So maybe he gets the job next year. Uh, and I think that was a really smart decision from his camp to not – clearly there was no starting jobs out there, it seems, but a, a perfect backup spot for him. Every Everyone's favorite stat has been that uh, Jameis Winston has completed more passes in his career to Saints defensive players than – Taysom Hill has to Saints offensive players. So there you go. Perfect in New Orleans. And another quick note, too. Uh, Hollywood Brown won a Madden tournament, beating Snoop Dogg. Uh, Guy's so, very good at Madden. He's, like, he's, like, he's crazy good. He might be better at Madden than he is at playing receiver, which is saying something. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't know if I liked that he won that tournament or hated that he won that tournament because stop playing so many video games and yeah. go run routes. But, but oh, I guess you what, can do it all. If that's what he's doing in his free time, you know, if – He's not. It doesn't seem like he's out there partying or anything. He's just shredding Madden. So <laughs> I'll Comple- take it. Completely fine with it. Completely fine. With it. <laughs> Jace, why don't you uh, hit us with the random Raven clues one more time, and we'll get out of here. Yeah. So this former undrafted free agent out of UCLA played for the Ravens from 2008 to 2012. Listed as linebacker, he appeared in 62 games in Baltimore, making 124 tackles and 4.5 sacks. He's not remembered as a linebacker though, or a pure defensive player, the three-time pro bowler was a special teams ace. His brother played for the Ravens uh, years prior and was a member of the 2000 Super Bowl team. And this player's number 51 has been worn most prominently since his departure by linebacker Daryl Smith. Tim, do you want to take the first name or the last name? (laughs) Um, So... It's either Brandon or Brendan. I can't remember which. So you can take the last name if you'd like. It's Brandon or Brendan. I can't clarify which one of those two first names is the right name, but the last name is Ian Badejo, so it's one one of those guys. It is uh, Brendan Ian Badejo, B-R-E-N-D-O-N. So he even mixes up uh, the spelling of Brendan a little bit there. Uh, 
But his brother was Obafemi, the much uh, I knew notable... that one. That's the one I knew. I, it popped into my head right as you were talking about it. Obafemi Iambadejo, one of the best NFL names in history. Yeah, all-time great Ravens name. Um, I always forgot they were brothers, but I guess there's only so many Iambadejos out there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Brandon Iambadejo. Uh, special teams captain, seemingly every week, uh, was for a long stretch there. Yeah, five years with the Ravens. That is kind of hard to believe. Jace, that is a random Raven, (laughs) and good job by you with that. Anything else, guys, as we wrap up? Any final uh, comments besides the Ravens just drafted, like, seven future Pro Bowlers? (laughs) No, it was an exciting draft, and it was good to, you know, spend the first round watching with you all, and uh, I hope this NFL season happens because I am very excited for it. (laughs) Yeah, that's my thing. Now it's just like I, I, I just want it. Play it in a dome in Disney World. I don't care. I'll watch it. I want it. I need the Ravens right now. And uh, Patty, just change your number to a number in the 50s, man. Please, please. That's it. That would be, that's instant buy for old Tim Horsey if it's in the 50s. That's an instant purchase. Coming out of LSU, go Tigers, and and playing middle linebacker for the Ravens. But uh, it, it kills me that he's wearing 48, man. I don't like it. That's on you, Patrick Queen. That's on you. We will be back next week with some more analysis. Maybe we'll go back into these draft picks. Maybe we'll look at some of the undrafted players who the Ravens have had a history of, of adding uh, seemingly on a yearly basis. Uh, and we'll bring you more news and notes from the NFL and the Ravens as a whole. A pleasure, as always, for Jace Evans and Tim Horsey. I'm Antonio Barbera. This is Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.